Yo, do you know what I hate most in terms of media? What do you hate most in terms of media? No. Unnecessary sequels. Like... Why can't... I mean, <laughs> like, like, we, like, okay, so, like, an unnecessary sequel would have been, for example, because we were talking about uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, right? It would be Dark Knight Strikes Again. Completely unneeded. I don't care. It's about like it's about you know seeing old man Bruce Wayne kick butt and that's all I need. Not <laughs> like you know freaking nonsense of like Lex Luthor trying to undermine everything. Like I don't care about that. And, and um, Dick Grayson coming back being and, like yeah, weird some, terrorist, some terrorist weird guy. Joker terrorist thing. Yeah, I don't care for that. Like who who really asked for all of that? Not me. I don't think nobody asked for that. So. Uh, what was another unnecessary sequel I I did I really disliked? Uh, damn, thinking. Oh, Transformers uh, Generation Two, completely <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> completely unnecessary. Like G One was good, then we got the movie, and you know, as a kid, it did break my heart to see them kill off Optimus Prime. Right? Sorry for spoilers if you haven't seen Transformers the movie yet. Um, they kill off Optimus Prime. And then, you know, Hot Rod took his place as Hot Rodimus. Uh, Rodimus <laughs> Prime. Is that really his name? Yeah, Rodimus Prime. Oh, I thought it was Hot Rodimus. Yeah, no, it was Rodimus Prime. Um, but yeah, so I'm just saying, man, like, come on. Like, there needs to be more thought put into sequels. Because if you're going to do a sequel, right, it, it needs to be good, right, first and foremost. And how is it going to elevate the original source material? That's another thing that needs to happen as well. G2 didn't really elevate the source material. Uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again didn't elevate uh, Dark Knight Returns. Though I will say, I did enjoy um, Dark Knight uh, Master Race. That that was a very good comic, but I that think that's mostly on the part of Brian as well. Yeah, how much did Frank Lord actually get to write it? Who knows? Yeah. They're like, calm down, Frank. Calm down. Let's 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 pull it back, okay? Let's not make these let's not make the Kryptonians Nazis. I think the what best epitomizes that are all the Jurassic Park sequels. Yes. None of them have really come close to approaching the first one. That is that is absolutely true. Like especially when you compare Jurassic Park I mean, in the scheme of things, right? Jurassic Park to Lost World makes sense conventionally, but it's still a dumb movie. Um but Especially, then, my biggest beef about that movie is that, you know, they're saying, oh, profits are down because nobody's excited about dinosaurs anymore. So you need a new dinosaur, right? And I was watching that movie, and they're in, the, and they're in like, the, the museum or the gift shop, and they have a hologram of a raptor. Yeah. It's like, of course no one wants to see your stupid dinosaurs. You're sitting on holograms. We don't <laughs> have holograms. Why don't you, why don't you turp, make, monetize your holograms? Oh, my gosh. That's what I'm saying, like, you know, you're, these are gold mine things that they have, and it's like, you know, people are tired of dinosaurs. It's like, what five-year-old do you know is tired of dinosaurs? I know not a single five-year-old who's tired of dinosaurs, right? Although, to Once be a fair, baby... I, w- I would question, like, how much would you have to charge? It's like, imagine the cost of, of like, genetically engineering dinosaurs must be enormous, right? Right. But, like, it's obviously, it's not just super rich people who get to go to Jurassic Park. I'm assuming it's like normal theme park prices, so I imagine they're taking a, a, a bath on the emission. 
Oh, is that an island too? Right, I think it's on an island. So it's it's all it's also on an island too. So it's like it's an all inclusive resort for both you and the kids. It's it's essentially a beaches with dinosaurs. That's that's essentially what it is. Yeah, so like maybe maybe it's just the cost of mission. Unless maybe maybe they, they just need to do it. Disneyland doesn't make the food more super expensive. They're super expensive. They're like, hey, I want this hamburger. How much is it? Thirty five dollars. Like what? I mean, they gotta pay for uh, T Rex somehow. <laughs> I guess so, but, you know, they get tired of dinosaurs, so we have to genetically engineer this dinosaur with, you know, other species to create this unstoppable dinosaur that's smarter than your average dinosaur. It's essentially the Scooby-Doo – I mean, no, sorry, not Scooby-Doo, the, the Yogi Bear of, uh, <laughs> of dinosaurs. <laughs> smarter than your average T-Rex. Yeah, exactly. And, Which, then, and then the same thing again with Fawn Kingdom, right? Yes, with the super smart raptor. So super now, smart raptor. So now it's the it's the T Rex but compact. It is the Honda Civic of uh, the Indominus Rex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh gosh. But I say all of this to introduce our new story, right? Yeah. So speaking of unnecessary sequels. <laughs> uh, we will be talking about Doomsday Clock. Yeah, I just want to say, uh, my segue idea was going to be different. It's going to talk about... It was basically going to end with, speaking of Wang, let's talk about Doomsday Clock. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to segue from like, watching uh, the HBO show Industry, because there's a lot of Wang. But I think, I think yours, yours, yours is fine. Okay, I'm, I'm glad. Cause... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about the much... The, the super hype... DC event comic, Doomsday Clock, the sequel to the famous, famed, legendary text Watchmen. The um, Tome. The Tome. Uh, that's the comic that changed superhero comics in the industry for better and for worse. Uh, Doomsday Clock by Jeff Johns, art by Gary, uh, Frank. Gary Frank, and the other important credits. Brad Anderson, colorist, Rob Lay, letterer. Oh, Amy Brockway Metcalf, original issue, Back Matter Design. I'm sure, I'm, I'm assuming that's, I don't know what that means, I'm assuming that's the in-between stuff. But wait, wait, what was it, sir? Original issue, Back Matter Design. Oh, yeah, that's that's the uh, in-between stuff for the issue, yeah. Yeah, which, which you know, it's important. That's an important credit to the book. You know, Jeff, Jeff Johns, you know, for those who don't know, is the big kind of guy who, like, really revitalized a lot of DC properties. Um, uh, had a legendary run on Green Lantern, Aquaman, uh, was one of the architects for the New 52. New 52 was later promoted to uh, DC, a film overseeing a lot of DC films. So and the under, television under, series. Yeah, under his ten, so under his tenure, because he, he came, he brought in after you know Batman v Superman was kind of whatever. <laughs> so under his tenure, you got some stuff that wasn't too great, like Justice League uh, and Aquaman. We also got Birds of Prey, you got Shazam, the main person in charge of Stargirl, which is a show that's actually not too bad. Yes, and he was also one of the, the writers for the backdoor pilot that introduced The Flash on Arrow. Yeah, yeah, worked a lot on The Flash. He did some work on Smallville, where he introduced the more like comic book st- stuff, like Legion of Superheroes, <laughs> uh, which was like, well, it was one of those, like, I stopped watching that show like through season three, partway through season three, and then I came back. When Green Arrow showed up, and then I stopped. Wait, it wasn't Marvin, and then came back for the Legion of Superheroes episode. <laughs> and then I stopped. 
and I came back for the Marshall Manor and stuff, and I, I stopped. The Justice Society, you mean? Justice Society. Well, 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 both, both the Justice League and the Justice Society. Oh yeah, the Justice League stuff, right? Where it was like Cyborg, Aquaman, uh, Impulse. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. the Justice Society was brought only because of Jeff Johns. Ah, uh, okay, which which makes sense. I think at the time he was also writing JSA. Yeah, it's right, JSA. So yeah, he's a big guy, but like this is Doomsday Clock was like his big kind of his first comic project he'd taken on years since ascending the DC films. Uh, I think he's no longer in that position. Gary Frank, who's like a, a big DC mainstay. Uh, I was actually first introduced to Gary Frank from a Top Cow comic with J. Michael Straczynski called Midnight Nation, a comic that I really enjoyed. Oh, I've seen it. Um, yeah. Never read it, but I've seen it. It's a good I comic. Don't... It's a very personal comic for J. Michael Straczynski. Uh-huh. Uh, the art style has not aged because it's like a lot of like super sexy women, and it doesn't really make sense. With, so like, like extremely early two thousands. Very early two thousands. Um, his art, his art style is kind of just got cleaner, but it's fundamentally the same. Yeah, because my introduction uh, to Gary Frank was uh his uh Shazam comics he used to do for, in the the backups for Justice League for New Oh 52. yeah, yeah, those were good. Uh, he did Superman, Superman Secret Origin with Jeff Johns. Uh, Wait, oh, Secret Origin. I was about to say, Origin, like, you yeah. need Secret. I, I thought you said Secret Identity. I was about to say, like, no, that was Stuart Moment. What are you talking about? But anyway, Doomsday Clock. Uh, this is a big, this is a comic. It's one of those super hype, you know, ads for everywhere. This is like, this is like their, their big sequel, right? The Watchmen characters are interacting with the DC characters, and this is to be their, their response to the influence of Watchmen, which we'll get into a little bit, because I think that's very critical. Uh, ironic, funny, funny enough, my sheer coincidence, it came out around the same time the HBO Watchmen show was coming, uh, was airing. It's really strange how they have two, they start off with two very fundamentally different divergences on the original Watchmen source material, and yet they arrive at a pretty similar conclusion, in ter- at least in terms of theme. I think, I think you know, er- what hasn't been said about the HBO Watchmen series, it's amazing, everyone loved it, got a bunch of Emmys, Regina King, fantastic. Doomsday Clock, uh, more mixed reception, shall we say. I think it's quite telling. Dave Gibbons, who was like super enthusiastic for the HBO show, uh, and I think about this comic, the kindest, the, the only thing he said was that, uh, this is all I'm going to say, I don't get why you need to make the story. <laughs> right, this, the story's completely unnecessary. Like, to be completely, like, it, I will say that it's, it's not a bad story, right? It's a nice theme park ride but at the same time i feel like the story was unnecessary to tell in terms of what was happening right because uh let's see the story what the story ended in 2019 right we're in 2021 so two years i feel like um every time we talk about a comic despite how old it is whether it's two years or 20 years we always have to put that disclaimer of spoilers you know spoilers okay Sure. Spoilers. Right. So. Uh, I that there's really a lot to spoil. Because <laughs> what's, what's, what's the main thing? Status quo is back. Yes, the, the status quo is back. But how did we achieve the status quo in coming back, though? That is the real question. Okay. Right? How do so, we how do we get from New 52 to Rebirth? All right. So before we, dive, before we do a deep dive into it, because we'll do something a little different with how we approach discussing this comic, uh, let's do a quick summary a Doomsday Clock for those who don't know. Uh, we're not going to summarize Watchmen because if you don't know, 
the events in the original comic. Shame on you. Shame. Shame on you. Go read that comic. It is. It is one of those things that's like everyone should read, regardless if you're into comics or not. Uh, but Doomsday Clock will start off, we'll pick off. Uh, it's important to understand a little bit of history, which is another another thing we're going to guess. Doomsday Clock, you will not get it unless you're know a bunch of like recent DC history continuity. Uh, no, actually, no, even further back. You know, you, you know, like at least 10 years. Uh, so so it's not, it's not a book I would recommend for people who are not hardcore DC readers. But the basic premise of the story, in, in a couple different ways. So in the main DC universe, our world, uh, tensions are at a super, are at all-time high because there's something called the Superman theory that's being perpetuated. Is that the idea of why are most of these American, why are most of these superheroes American? And there's this uh, idea being propagated by Lex Luthor, or people assume it's Lex Luthor and some other people are saying that it's superheroes are an invention of the U.S. government. And they're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and they're turning them into like their private arm and your you know, weapons of persons of mass destruction, like the Ultimates. So it's fanning a lot of international tensions, mainly Russia. Uh, which I thought was pretty funny. That, like Watchmen, Russia is kind of the bad guy again. Yep. Meanwhile, while that's going, and, and you know, various superheroes across the line are being are dealing with this crisis, this geopolitical crisis. Meanwhile, uh, over in the Watchmen universe, things have gone to hell because, uh, like, if you recall the ending of the original book, Rorschach's journal details the truth behind Bay and the conspiracy. And this continuity and, and the the Doomsday Clock, sorry. Uh, it worked. Vay's uh, plan gets exposed. A fragile piece of only like five or seven years gets blown up. And the world is back at the brink of nuclear Armageddon, arguably worse than before. So you have the new Rorschach and Vay, Adrian Vay, and two new characters, Marionette and the Mind from the Watchmen universe. They make their way over to the DC universe to try to track down Dr. Manhattan. Uh, and try to get them to fix the Watchmen universe from, you know, devouring it. Uh, <laughs> long story short, because it's a, it's a fairly, it's a very long story. Like it's twelve issues, but it's each issue, issues. it's twelve issues, but it's like almost, it's over almost five hundred pages because each issue is longer than normal. Yeah. Long story short, they eventually find Doctor Manhattan, and he kind of takes over as the main protagonist for the second half of the book. Uh, and you find out that Doctor Manhattan has been responsible for all the changes in the main DC universe. He migrated over from the Watchmen universe and started meddling with the DC universe. He's responsible for essentially New 52, the revised origin of Superman, the the erasure of the Legion of Superheroes and the Justice Society yep. of America from continuity, making it everything all darker and edgier and grittier. He, you know, more realistic. More realistic, right? Because he, <laughs> he, he was just like, you know, very curious to see what would happen. Yeah. Uh, well, and then long story short, you know, tensions are at their peak. You know, the Russia, all the Russian superheroes, and and everything's at their height. All the DC characters confront Doctor Manhattan. They unsurprisingly fail to stop him. Uh, and it comes to a head where Doctor Manhattan has to face off against Superman, and Superman eventually helps him realize that what he's got to do is that he needs to have hope and optimism, right? Essentially. Uh, right. And then, yeah, Dr. Mahan is inspired to go back and fix the Watchmen universe. Uh, and there's some other subplots with, like, Rorschach and Marionette and Mind and Batman. We, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's I don't a, know. It's a superhero comic, yeah. That's, 
Yeah, so, a lot of it is very, it's actually really paint by number superhero stuff. Yeah. So I would not really recommend it for anyone who's not into this type of story. Uh, even if you are, I don't know if it's if it's for you, but we can, we can start diving into that. Um, so we're going to do a different approach with this comic. We're going to try something I picked up in grad school. You picked John Jennings for this. It's a method of visual analysis called the six perspectives, which I would highly recommend to anyone who wants to really analyze something. It's a way to take a, a personal reaction and then step-by-step step, you make it more layer, more analytical, more objective. So the six perspectives are, they go from personal, technical, historical, cultural, ethical, and critical. And I'll explain each one as we get to it. But let's start first and foremost with the personal perspective. So basically, what is, did you did you like the comic or did you like disliking? What was your gut reaction? So, uh, so Phil, what was your what was your personal reaction to Thursday Clock? Uh, eh. Uh, I felt the same way. It yeah. Was, it was kind of like, not great, not not terrible. Yeah, like I mean, there was parts of it in it that I did like. Um, I did enjoy uh the backstory of the of Rose Shack number two. Um and like detailing how his journey of average regular guy to becoming Roshak. Um and the and the connection to the original comic was cool because spoilers uh, uh, turn your, turn your <laughs> headphones off of your smile. He's actually the son of the psychologist that, that analyzed Roshak, Malcolm Long. Yes. Uh, so he he took after his after his father's death from the the squid attack, he became the second Roshak. Yeah, and then what else did I like? I I guess the mime and marionette uh background story. I I did enjoy that as well. I see. I wasn't a fan of those two characters. Um, I wasn't a fan of the characters, but their setup into how they evolved as characters, I enjoyed. I think it's true. They're, they're I think they're more interesting <laughs> their backstory than the actual characters themselves. Yes. Though I will admit, though, it's it's pretty cool to see Mime having an invisible gun. So my issue with Mime especially is that it's cool, but they just don't... They felt out of place being Watchmen characters. Or characters from that universe. Like, if they were from the DC universe, that would be fine. Yes. But, like, they... The whole conceit of Watchmen is that Dr. Man is the only one with any actual powers. And you see what that effect would have. Uh, they just seem... They really just didn't fit. I like uh, Mothman. I think that, I think that's the, probably the strongest element of the book is that Jeff John gets to really expand Mothman. Yes, because I don't think we there was much Mothman in uh, Watchmen, right? Because he's an yeah. original Minuteman. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, he was original Minuteman, and then he was confined to uh, the asylum. <laughs> that's about it. That's all you yeah. get, like a nervous breakdown. Uh, which <laughs> I thought was like, oh, that's very similar to the HBO show. They took another minor character. Uh, Captain Mahan? No, Captain. No. Captain Metropolis. Captain Metropolis and uh, Hood of Justice. It's a very two very minor characters and expanded them greatly. Um, and it's a way. Uh, it was like a good. I thought it was a very good way of balancing that you're expanding on stuff from the original book without treading on a lot of, without retreading old material. Right. Because like, there's no need. There's no need to retcon it. Just continue yeah. off. Yeah, but like Mothman, I thought was like the best use of that, treading between the old and new, mm-hmm. uh, and Doomsday Clock, and 
you know, he was just, he was just like a, a cool character. Yes. Uh, he, was, he was also kind of crazy. Still, <laughs> never, still, still crazy at the end. But yeah, I just thought it was, I was kind of meh. You know, I was expecting it to be terrible, but it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great either. See, that's crazy though, because you went in with the ex. Why did, did you go in with the expectation of it being terrible? Oh, I just heard about some of the changes and the approaches they took on some of the characters, and you know, it's also Watchmen is like it's like it's like almost as close to a sacred text as you can get in comics. And so when you're trying to like follow up on, and you know, there's a lot of con- there's a lot of polarization about the integration of Watchmen characters in the DC universe to begin with. I'm not, yeah. gonna get, I'm not gonna get into that, but like, you know, when you're when you're when you're approaching this material, right? I think people have a right to be skeptical, mm-hmm. and I, and you know, from what stuff I heard, I was just like, this is a really strange choice. I felt the same way about the HBO Watchmen, but I was extremely skeptical. I was like, this is gonna be terrible. You know, Lindenoff, I only knew it from Lost, and it's terrible comics. And then you know, <laughs> and then, then within like the first episode, I was a, I was, I was converted. I was like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the Lindelof train. I'm, I'm gonna preach the HBO Watchmen. But yeah, okay. that's, you know, so our per- that's the personal perspective. Our initial reactions, kind of mid on the line. So let's move to the technical perspective, which is like how we feel about the craft of the book. Um, so you want to start with the art or the writing? We'll start with the art. Um, because honestly. Uh, yeah, Gary Frank's art, somewhere. yeah, yeah, because Gary, Gary Frank, there's not really much to talk about in terms of the art because like Gary Frank is very good at what he does, and he understands uh the pacing that's created within Watchmen. I mean, of course, he's working off of Jeff Johns' script, but in order to like keep in that same style of the nine-panel grid, he does very, very well, and the visual art style, especially when looking at Doctor Manhattan. And how Dave uh, Gibbons was able to do it, like he was able to capture that very well as um, at the same time. Yeah, he does a really good job, uh, just kind of getting all the the little details and nuances in terms of visuals of the original book. Uh, like it's not just straight nine panel grids. There are times where it deviates, and at first I was like, "This is really weird." And I was I looked over at Watchmen again. It's like, "Oh yeah, it makes the same deviations too." Yeah. Um, the the same like kind of pale blue word bubble that Doctor Manhattan uses. You know, he puts the same Doctor Manhattan in this book. Um, there's like also like quotes at the end of each issue, like there wasn't Watchmen. Uh, Gary Frank about that. So in terms of like capturing the art style, you know, kind of like Abrams does. Abrams is very good at mimicking. Uh, his idols, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see, like like Force Awakens. Uh, you know, it's very good at capturing like kind of the, the aesthetic of the original Star Wars. You know, uh, Super Eight. I'm told it's very good at capturing the aesthetic of like Spielberg movies. Um, and yeah, Gary Frank. You know, it's like a very 90s influence style in terms of how he draws characters. He's one of the better ones in my opinion. Uh, that the kind of 90s influence, like which is like it tends to be a lot of the DC. They're they're like stable of artists tend to be very 90s influenced, but these are the ones I like. I mean, uh, see, but I, I, I feel like see, I feel like I have to argue with that though, right? Because like, of course, Gary Frank started off drawing comics in the 90s, right? Yeah. But as he continues to draw, right, he continues to evolve, and I mean, a lot of the 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 DC artists, right, all come from that background, like Jason Fabuk, um, Brett, Brett Booth, 
Yeah, Ivan Reyes. Um, who else? Uh, uh, Ed Benias. Who? The the guy who did it, like Birds of Prey, Justice League. Oh yes. Oh, Jesus, Jesus uh, size. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. I mean, but Jim, Jim Lee, obviously. I mean, yeah, Jim Lee. But when's the last time Jim Lee drew a comic? <laughs> I mean, I think it's like it's like they all use that kind of like Jim Lee foundation is 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 like their basis for their art, and they all do a different approach, different styles. But like, I think you can kind of tell that that's like kind of the main yeah. artistic. If if you were to draw like a branch, right? Like yeah, it's all it all comes from Jim Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, I take that back as well because I said, when's the last time Jim Lee drew a comic? I was like, oh wait, he did uh, uh Suicide Suicide Squad Rebirth. I forgot all about that. So yeah, Gary Frank's art, uh, you know, very technically polished. Uh, it's a little weird. It's a little weird to see the Watchmen characters in this aesthetic, but once you get used to that, I think it works out very fine. I think he's got like a. I think his 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 hatching style. I think actually he tends to draw. I think he tends to draw a lot of shit shadows as well with his hatching, and it works very well for its own little book. Because it's a very it's a pretty bleak book. So yeah, the art the art's good. I think the art is probably the strongest part about the Disney clock. Um, how would you feel about writing? Jeff Johns Jeff is writing. We talked a little bit already. I think we touched that a little bit about some uh the elements of writing we we thought were kind of. Eh. Yeah, with in terms of writing, like I, what I can appreciate of Jeff Johns is the voices he gives his characters. He's also he's really good at capturing the voice of the Watchmen characters. Like Doctor Mahan sounds like, or Doctor Mahan, Rorschach, Rorschach too. I think especially is the best use of that because he sounds very similar, but also just different enough to know that this is not the same character. Right. Because, like, in terms of... Because they're even using the same uh, speech panel... I mean, speech bubble that the original Rorschach used in Watchmen. And, but the difference would be is how uh, Rorschach 2 speaks in that same term, but he says everything that comes to mind, right? Like, he doesn't keep his thoughts to himself. Yeah, even, I think, the way his syntax is... Like, the way... Because he doesn't... Like, the original... Uh, Rorschach talks the talks of sense fragments, and so does this one. So does this one, but I think his are slightly different. Uh, I'll have to go back and re-check on it. Um, yeah, I think his the sense fragments are more. I think they're even more fragmented, which makes mm-hmm. sense, right? Cause he he never met Rorschach personally. He only he's emulating the journal, so his writing style. Mm-hmm. So it's like more exaggerated. Right. And I think honestly that's the my favorite part of the book is like that opening where like Roshak is walking through the prison and everyone's like, Oh shit, it's him. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, like, so, that's how much fear Roshak puts into the hearts of the criminals he puts away. Yep. Um I think so when it comes to like the original characters Manhattan and Rorschach and Adrian Bay. I think Jeff Johns does a pretty good job with them. Um, comedian, I didn't really, wasn't really a big fan of how he approached comedian. Because I think he kind of made him very one dimensional. Yeah, I uh, feel like uh, comedians, their uh, inclusion in the story was unnecessary. He should have yeah. just. He was dead. just there, just like, hey, I brought back comedian. What a twist. Yeah, like comedians but, here, he's trying to kill Vert. Like, 
but it also misses a lot of the nuance of that character because like you know originally he's a terrible human being you know he's a rapist murderer assassin but you also there are moments of humanity that it doesn't excuse his actions but you do it does humanize him right he breaks into Moloch's apartment he's all drunk and he's confessing all the things he's done talking about like you know you're the closest thing I have to a best friend how sad is that Mm. uh so they're they're I think it, it strikes that Alan Moore is able to strike that really intriguing balance of like, you know, you feel this is a terrible person. And he doesn't downplay that, but you still feel kind of sad that when you learn this, we, we, they, they die. You know, he's like a little bit of a tragedy too. This one, I think comedian is just like, uh, I, I'm a revenge gun toting <laughs> comedian, which I was not a fan of. Uh, my biggest problem, uh, I think, with the characters is mine and Marionette. I personally thought, they were less interesting, not only really less interesting than these other characters. He says a lot of time on them. The time I think could have been better spent with the other characters, personally, or even with the other DC characters. Because we don't spend yeah. too much time with, like, Batman, Superman, or any of them. And, you I mean, know, we kind of touched upon it earlier that, you know, the backstories for Mar- my Marionette are interesting, but I just don't feel like they, they kind of belong. <laughs> they feel out of place being from the Watcher universe. Yes, they do. Because, like, the idea of, like, you know, as you said before, Dr. Manhattan is essentially a being a deterrent for people thinking like that. Um, but at the same time, right, it's like they were essentially the MacGuffin, right? My, I mean, Marionette in particular, and mine was just there for the ride. Yeah. But Mary, Marionette was the, was the MacGuffin they were trying to get to Dr. Manhattan because – the point, the part in the story is that oh, Doctor Manhattan was uh, uh didn't kill her when they were robbing a bank because she was pre- pregnant and let them live. Of course, that wasn't the case because you know Doctor Manhattan is able to see in the future, in the past, and the present all at the same time. Um, so he thought that oh, this is the the little one little speck of humanity left within John, you know, because he let this this woman and her baby go free. And it's like, no, I I didn't care. I didn't save you because you were pregnant. I just, you know, it was just me being mysterious and yeah. blue. And then we, we then you it's revealed later on he didn't save her because she was pregnant with that child. It's because in the future she would have a second child when she gets pregnant with in this story that right. will become like the savior of the Watchmen universe, the Watchmen world. Uh, uh, I personally, I personally, no, it's I, not. It's the, the first the first child becomes the the savior. I, thought was, I think it's the second. I thought it was no, the child. second because the second child because the first child they had was a was the son, and then okay. the second child they had was the daughter Anita. All right. Okay. I mean, I'll be honest. That whole plot point was like very. It's yeah, very. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, see, that's I think that's the part where I felt like Jeff Johns written himself into a hole, kind of. Yeah. Because it was like, yeah, we're gonna use these characters as like you know MacGuffins to try and convince Doctor Manhattan. Okay. Dr. Manhattan sees them. Oh, I didn't really, you know, save you because you were pregnant and you're also pregnant again with your daughter. But where's my son, Dr. Manhattan? I don't know. Boop, this is a, disappears. And so now you're left with that point, like the uh, Oh, yeah, I, t- I totally forgot about that. That's the reason why they get them on is because they, they track down her son. But that, exactly. that, 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 that plot like, it's just gets it gets, it gets it gets thrown to the wind. So, like, that whole, like, Dr. Manhattan seeing Marionette is there. But then because it's Dr. Manhattan, he doesn't care. Like, the whole thing becomes severed. So because now that – so because that plot point becomes severed, Marionette and Mime essentially have nothing to do with the story rather than just, I guess, essentially 
try and kill Joker. Yeah, yeah. I, if I were to say something about this, the story is a little, it's a little bloated. There's yes. Adding that's just kind of, this could have been streamlined a lot, bit, a lot, a, lot uh, a bit better with like these characters, especially. Um, there's also, I think there's some pacing issues. Like the first, uh, the first like four or five, six issues are like very slow. And it's not until the second half where things start to ramp up with the whole Superman theory and Superman and Batman are getting drawn into the story. Yeah. Uh, it didn't bother me too much because like the original Watchmen has a similar pacing, but I can definitely see it really uh, throwing a lot of people off. Did you have uh, issues with the pacing as well? Well, no. I mean, uh, just I freshly read Watchmen, so in terms of pacing, I I it, I didn't find it a problem. I understand that that's how you build tension within this type of story. I think I think he's able to get away with that only because he's 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 mimicking Watchmen. If it were a standalone story by itself, I think. Oh no, no, then yeah, yeah. this, this would have been this would have been dropped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, another to finish up on our technical perspective. Uh, the the I had the I had kind of a problem with how it's super violent <laughs> Marinette and Mime are, just like they're cutting people apart. You see how bloody it is, and not with that sort of violence in itself, because I'm pretty desensitized to that sort of thing. But it's just like it felt really out of place compared to the original Watchmen. I mean, uh, yes and no. I feel like it's simply because of the era that the original Watchmen came in. Because, um, I mean, when you think of, what's his name? Uh, Hollis's mentor, who was the original uh, Night Owl. Was yeah, yeah. Mason. Yeah, Mason, right? And when he gets murdered by the the group of teenagers. Right? Uh, I think I think it's probably more of like it's also like a very Jeff Johns thing, <laughs> like it's just a weird contradiction I always find in his books is that he's really much he's really into like golden age silver age stuff, but he always draws like people getting horrifically maimed and super bloody. Uh, so it's like a really strange mixture of like a dark age aesthetic to like his storytelling. It also maybe very if I, I found it, it maybe very hard to sympathize with Marionette and Mime and their tragic backstories. When like well we're introduced to her like cutting people apart with uh with her I, what do you call it her garot guy garar garar yeah um and even then they don't they're still kind of like psycho murdering people you know they don't really have redeeming values I mean they <laughs> so, don't but so it may they be hard had, to be bringing I that's not that's not enough for me right <laughs> especially because. As the, as the story bring up, Batman had a pretty tough upbringing. <laughs> he needed to become a crazy murderer. He was Batman chose to have a crazy tough upbringing. Like, all right, you know? all right, all right. Well, whatever. All right. Um, <laughs> let's let's move on to the next thing. This is where we get into the really needy part of Doomsday Clock. So the next one is the historical perspective, which you consider the work in the context of the stuff surrounding uh the 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 artistic works in its genre and the stuff that came before it. So the thing about Watchmen, uh, it really can be overstated its influence on the entire genre and the industry. And I think every, like it's one of those books, it's one of those works that you cannot write a story in that genre the same way after reading Watchmen, after doing right. it. Right. And everything is struggled to kind of deal with that. It's like similar, similar to like Westerns, like after, Auto spaghetti westerns like the Clint Eastwood, they kind of just deconstructed them. You can't just do a straight western like Law Ranger stuff ever again. 
<laughs> you know, you have to you have to do either some kind of self awareness or some kind of twist. Yeah. And it's very really interesting. Mean, as, and oh, sorry, what did you say something? No, I was because I, I was thinking about it, right? Because I know Disney tried to redo the the Lone Ranger film with Johnny right? Depp, with, <laughs> with Johnny Depp as as Tonto, yeah. And I mean. It wasn't a good film, but it wasn't a bad film either. It just it, it was it was essentially a western uh, John Carter. Yeah, oh boy, that's not that's <laughs> not you're not gonna sell anybody with that. I mean, but John Carter is not a bad film. <laughs> I've never seen it, so I just know it's, the horrible it, John, horrible John marketing Carter, campaign. John Carter's it, the marketing campaign was ridiculous on it, but it's not a bad film. It's not a great film. Off it's Mars. Not, Sorry, I gotta mention Off Mars. That's what it should be called. What on Mars? John Carter of Mars. Oh, John. Oh, yes. I mean, if they really wanted to go in, they should have just called it Warlords of Mars. Yeah, that's so. it's one of the film critics I follow. Eric, he was reviewing the movie. He always, every time you mention the title, he always added of Mars. <laughs> um, but it, I, yeah, Watchmen. I think every it's really interesting to see kind of the genre's response to Watchmen. You know, some writers I think have kind of. Um, like like with the Ultimates, Mark Millar, they taken this deconstruction of superheroes and ran and ran the extra mile with it, right? Like the Ultimates, right. they're like actual, really messed up. We're gonna take it even further. These are messed up people. You know, hero heroes are only tools of the political machine. Other works like say Astral City, you know, it goes back to like the the hopeful lighter. The idea of the golden age. Golden age, silver age, but like it's very much. The reason why it works is that the tone of the book is very explicitly retro, mm-hmm. right? It's very much a, a retro type of book. It's a little bit self-aware. It's not just doing, like, a standard, that type of story just for the sake of it. Like, when you read it, you know this is explicitly a throwback to those stories. And then something like Kingdom Come, uh, I think it's very elegant. It's like, it takes the critique Watchmen makes of superheroes and then applies them to the characters. Like, you see it. You know, they all become darker and edgier, and the world's about to go to hell. And then the right. heroes, the heroes realize that. They realize they pulled themselves back from the brink, and they improve and make themselves better than before. And that they stop being superheroes, they become just genuine helping humanity without secret identities and masks. Right. Um. And then, and then of course, the more infamous, the less. I think the, the thing about it is that the industry kind of learned the wrong lesson from Watchmen, with like the '90s era comics. Uh, going on and forward, especially in the 90s era, is that they took all kind of the dark, gritty, you know, sex and violence without any of the maturity or the complex themes of storytelling. I agree. And this is what kind of what Doomsday Clock kind of the gen is, like what Doomsday Clock at its core is wrestling with. Right? So people were wondering, like, why what's, what's so special about this comic? It's like, well, it's it's kind of, I think, the most boldest, not boldest, it's the most obvious attempt. The most <laughs> obvious. It's a little very inelegant, clumsy attempt. But it's the most. It's very obviously trying to wrestle with the legacy of Watchmen by having the actual Watchmen characters show up and confront the actual DC characters. Yeah, but it's not even like the idea of the Watchmen characters confronting the DC characters, right? It all literally boils down to a confrontation between Superman and Dr. Manhattan, right? So literally, like, the god among people versus, like, a literal god, because that's essentially what Dr. Manhattan is. Well, it's interesting, too, well, like, what are the differences between these two characters? I think it's kind of good to analyze that. So, like... It is. Like, Superman is, like, uh, this super-powered 
alien being, but he's sent to Earth. He discovers his humanity and becomes this altruistic, you know, hopeful figure. Mahan is the exact opposite. He was like a regular dude who who had superhuman godlike power foisted onto him. Mm-hmm. And he becomes detached from humanity and aloof. But I feel like because of what he became is what caused him to become a detached, did it not? Because yeah, because yeah, he—that's the thing. It's like he's so because he because he just sees things on he just literally is on a different level of existence, right? He sees lots right. different uh, timelines, so he's just he's just not anchored to the present. Like he just—it's not that he hates humanity; he just doesn't really care. He about just it. he doesn't really care about it. It's like the equivalent. It's, yeah, because it's like the equivalent of like you know a person stepping on an ant like that. I mean, that yeah, we're would all, be we're the all, best way. We're all just. I think he, there's like even a quote I think talking about like when comedians funerals like a body is just a bunch of molecules. Yeah. Whereas Su- Superman, you know, the thing, the key part of his identity is that he always he will always care about humanity. And I think it's yeah. an interesting. The Jeff John chooses the frame these two characters as like kind of the embodiment of these philosophies, which I, which I also didn't really like because my biggest problem with Doomsday Clock is that it forgets the character development Dr. Mahan went through at the end of Watchmen. Oh yeah. I mean, because, yes, he went through char- character the, development, the but at the about, same time, he didn't really change much. No, I, 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 I would disagree with that. I, because, because the, right. Think about it. Right. At the end of Watchmen, the uh when like he when they all heard Vert's uh plan to save the world right what did he choose to do he chose to remain inactive at the same time i mean the only part he didn't remain inactive to was killing roshak because roshak was going to like tell the entire world what was happening but other than that he was like the best the best thing to do is to stand away and allow Vert to do what he needed to do so there's that and that part he remains kind of passive in action uh, but a, I would argue, he, the difference is he chooses to be to take to be to take inaction as opposed to just being inactive. Mm-hmm. And b, the really key thing in his conversation with Lori on Mars yeah. is that he he, he he gains an appreciation for humanity. He goes he goes on about that speech about the third one dynamic miracle, right? Right, and that, that I think is the the really key thing is that the reason why he goes back is because Lori convinces him that humanity to actually care about humanity again mm. he reads the earth that humanity and there's like a really great line he has at the end of Watchmen about like you know he made about human life it's like you're right Bay. perhaps i should go i should go create some which is what he does in uh, the show and, and yeah <laughs> yeah so that's the thing is that he actually finds not necessarily optimism but he finds he finds meaning in human humanity again which Tuesday clock kind of conveniently has forgotten in order for for its conflict, that's my that's my biggest problem. It, for, it just kind of forgets that crucial character development he went through to make this conflict and have him basically go through the same arc again, essentially. Yeah. But it's, it's it's less cool because it's just about with you know Superman and, and all these other kind of characters that are just kind of really out of its league, right? Uh-huh. Literally. Because uh-huh. I think the the funniest part about this too is like you know seeing. The characters that, you know, the Watchmen characters were based off of, like, you know, the fight between Dr. Manhattan and Captain Adams. The last thing you're going to see is Captain Adam and he, like, automatized him. Or Adam, I don't even Whatever. know how to say the word. Whatever. He, he vaporizes him, essentially, and turns Dr. Manhattan into mush. 
And which is, a, which is a nice, if anyone knows her history of Watchmen, it's a nice nod to that, the fact that Watchmen was originally based off uh, Captain Adam. Yes. Uh, well, not just Watchmen, but like the Dr. Manhattan's character yeah, her, was based yeah. off of Captain Adam. Yeah. It was, like, it was originally going to be these Charlton characters that were later acquired by DC. Uh, which is also nice. I like the other nod of the question that shows up in their final showdown. <laughs> but I was like, what is he supposed to do? I guess Dr. Manhattan, the question. But he's just there because, like, hey, you know. Yeah, you know, we get, we get nice to see question. Yeah. Nice homage. <laughs> so here's an interesting theory in this historical bit. So what do you – people have a lot of different interpretations of who Dr. Manhattan is – kind of symbolizes in this book. Mm-hmm. So there's there's um there's different camps. Is that Manhattan is, is Watchmen. He's the, the influence of Watchmen. He's the people that miss the point of Watchmen, all right, making, making things darker and edgier just for the sake of it, like he, like how he, he meddles with Superman's origin and how Scott's origin makes he, – he's responsible for, like, the darker direction of New 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people think he's, he's Alan Moore. He symbolizes Alan Moore. He's someone who was uh, – you know, he created this universe, right, like Alan Moore did, and he became very disillusioned with what happened afterwards. He kind of just shunned – much as Dr. Man shuns humanity, Alan Moore shun kind of comics, the comics industry. Right. Or, or, and the last one is like, maybe Dr. Man is Jeff Johns. He's this guy that is just like, he's he's dealing with this thing, that he's dealing with these slate of problems, and he's trying to wrestle and figure out how to reconcile like the, the darkness of Watchmen and like the, the lightness of the DC superhero stuff and the, the legacy they've Erase for darker. So, what do you what do you think about who do you think what do you, what is your interpretation of Dark Man and sorry? Uh, I never I never thought about that to be completely honest. That that idea never crossed my mind. But in you saying those things out loud to me, I'm like, huh. I feel like Doctor Manhattan is supposed to be representative of all these things. Yeah, it's probably because, it's probably I wouldn't say it's not just one. I think it's probably all the above. Yeah, that's exactly what it would be, right? Because all these things have like a dichotomy that they're that they're wrestling against, right? Alan Moore versus the comic comic industry, Jeff Johns fighting against like the idea of this dark and gritty uh, world that he created with the New Fifty Two, um, like you know the political spectrum between like what's what's right and what's good, like those ideas, right? So just Doctor Manhattan is quintessentially that guy in the middle who takes on all of that and he is essentially the audience there you go he is our audience surrogate Ooh. Kind of. yeah, yeah. I like that. that's good because the audience i think like knows all these points as well so they're trying to figure out as much as they can right all right so let's go to the next the fifth perspective which is cultural which is you take the work and you put it in the context of uh the cultural and social factors circumstances around the work and this was interesting because we have both the work around the stuff that happened around doomsday clock but also around watchmen the first thing i noticed is that uh there's a lot of uh trump era politics reference to <laughs> doomsday clock which is again it's a watchman for those who don't know was very much born out of uh you know the reagan 80s of reagan era thatcher era conservative politics and the cold war the very height of the cold war that's a, a very very important thing right and it uh kind of in a strange roundabout way Duse clock was kind of in that same tension again 
Uh, not not with the Cold War, but like at the height of Trump's America, and you know, if if we don't know, we're gonna survive. And uh, there's very more, there's a lot more explicit references. Like um, I noticed in the very beginning, there's a reference to like deplorables, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The protesters are called deplorables. You see a protest sign that says, "This is in the Watchmen universe." In the Watchmen universe. The, the the world where the world's gone to hell. Because of Rorschach's plan, Rorschach's general exposing Bates' plan. So there's deplorables, there's a protest sign, Make America Safe Again. Uh, there's a reference to the president who's too busy golfing, I said, dealing with the crisis, which doesn't really make sense because the president is supposed to be Robert Redford, and Robert Redford isn't anything like Trump, if you know their politics. Yeah. No, he's more of a man of action. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless, I guess you could say in the Washington universe, Barry Redford became. <laughs> kind of like Trump. Yeah, I mean, like, because at the same time, though, right? Because I, I feel like this could be taking, like, bits and pieces from the uh, HBO show where uh, Robert Redford became president for life, essentially. Yeah, yeah, like multiple terms. But he's also in that. But in the in the HBO show, he's a very, he's a liberal president. Yes, he is. Yeah. So it, for me, the, the reason I bring it up is I think it's one of those, Jeff Johns is just like one of those artists who was like, I'm going to bash Trump. That's a way of dealing with it, but it's kind of clumsy. It's not a very elegant way of doing it. Especially yeah. because my beef with it, the way Doomsday Clock approaches it, is that while Watchmen is a critique of Thatcher and Reagan-style government, it never it never references Reagan or Thatcher explicitly, right? It critiques it without having to reference it, unlike, but Jeff Johns just doesn't have that kind of... Uh, nuance. Sense. Nuance. Uh, the thing I found most ironic is that, oh, hey, uh, Russia is, is kind of the bad guy in this story. Just like Russia, ironically, 30 years after Watchmen, is sort of a bad guy again. Yeah, which is, which is very funny at the same time, but I think it could have worked if it was Iran as well. Like, I feel like Iran or Russia. Because, uh, I mean, but then again, I, I still think of 2020, like in the very beginning, we were, when we all thought we were going to go through World War Three with Iran. Yeah. Um. I mean, you kind of get that with um, Black Adam, right? Oh, yeah. With it's, uh, uh, Kadak. Kadak. Yeah. So there's some, like, um, so, yeah, there's, like, a little bit of, like, Watchmen's a very political book. Right? For those who, like, comics, don't make comics political, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you can't get more political than Watchmen. And then Tuesday Clock is doing the same thing, kind of working in a lot of real, real-life politics leaking in or intentionally being homaged in what i do the thing i love the most about doomsday clock i will appreciate jeff johns for doing this there's a line he talks about um hawk used to run arms to oh, nicaragua. arms for the nicaragua <laughs> and i was like yes Contras. he brought it he brought that's that's a suicide squad storyline yeah and i i love that like yes jeff johns you brought it back in the canon talk used to run arms in nicaragua Except the, except the Suicide Squad comic, it was exclusively for Reagan. Like they were, they were like very on the nose. Yeah. No, the wait, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. So I have a question for you then, sure. because of the timeliness of like Watchmen, right? How it fits within the culture, despite being uh talking talking about a superhero story during the Cold War era. Do you feel like Doomsday Clock will still have that same type of uh, presence in terms of in terms of the comic? Hmm. Um, I think an interesting way to answer that is with the HBO Watchmen, because it's doing the same thing, right? It's 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 talking about real world anxieties 
But in that case, it's about white supremacy, right? Right. Uh, I think that interpretation of, of Watchmen sequel will have a better shelf life than this Doomsday Clock, because I think Doomsday Clock is very kind of... It, it's, it's, it's frankly, it's a little shallow. I mm-hmm. think it's shallow in the way it's working. It's like political critique. It, I wouldn't even... I don't know I'd call it critique. It's very much more about, like, meta DC superhero stuff. It's very insular, I think, is what it's critiquing. Whereas uh-huh. HBO Watchmen, you know, it's talking about white supremacy. That is a problem that, you know, has persisted for ever. Ages. Ages, yeah. And it probably is going to persist for quite a long time. So I think that version, it's going to, it's what, it, it's, it's, it's cultural critique and what it's saying, I think it's going to just last a lot longer than Doomsday Clock. Because it's mostly about comic superhero genre stuff, really. And I think, Honestly, I would argue that its critique of like the influence of Washington is actually behind the times. <laughs> like I felt like most, I think I honestly would argue that they've kind of already have moved on mm. a long time ago. Like I would argue, like sorry, but Kingdom Come, like Kingdom Come, I think is the best answer, the best response so, to Watchmen. Right. And that came out in '97. You know. Right. And even then, like even more recent stuff, right? You're you're. You know, you have, you have stuff like Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. We're having kind of, uh, you know, kind of like the they 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 they've 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 ingrained the critique of like, you know, deconstructing superheroes and seeing that it's not just you know it is a power fantasy. They're not they are, you know, kind of walk this weird line of fascist and vigilante. And they reintegrate it, but they've also made it fun. Yeah. I would argue next wave is a very good example. I would I I once. I want I wanted to write a paper. May also write a paper someday about next wave <laughs> being the perfect answer to Watchmen. Because <laughs> next wave is that like all right because Warren Ellis he literally said this is there's no there's no theme there's no character there's no plot this is people kicking ass and standing in cool poses. Yeah, which which it was and it worked very very well. Yeah, he's and... stripping away. He acknowledges that like power fantasy of superheroes. He strips it all away and they, that is just the aesthetic. Yeah, <laughs> that's all they're gonna do. Which is very funny because uh, this week in WandaVision, it made me think when Monica Rambeau was like, "All right, we're gonna meet my guy on the hill." In my mind, the first person I thought of that, I bet it's the captain. I bet it's the captain. You're <laughs> <laughs> the only person. Everyone else is all like Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. I know. <laughs> I like I like where your mind I like where your mind went. It's a captain. <laughs> like, yeah, I forgot. I forgot she was she was she was part of next she was next wave. Exactly. She was the she was the fuel leader. She was the fuel leader and she always brought up she's from Party Avengers. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's would be great if it's the captain or it's Machine Man. See, at first I thought Machine Man too, but I was like, nah, I can't be Machine Man. So I was like, either be the captain or Elsa Bloodstone. So I was like, no, no, I can't be that's <laughs> like just like i can't imagine that guy being aerospace engineer all right let's 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 keep moving on because we're right getting close to an hour but this is sorry this is the fifth perspective i missed the fifth perspective is ethical which is basically what is the ethical stance what, what are the ethics the work is preaching oh uh, we've kind of touched upon that with like the philosophy of like Manhattan and watching being this darkness and like superman and being like this, like glimmering hope uh, of Doomsday Clock. I think there's another important thing it brings up with um, Batman and Rorschach. I would agree. Like I think the uh, 
relationship between them was very interesting. Or yeah. should I say the lag thereof? Well, uh, well, what do you mean? Oh, because they don't really. They because don't really. they don't really interact with each other, but at the same time, they do like coincide because we have that uh, the sequence where Rorschach enters uh, Wayne Manor, right? Oh, finds yeah. it, finds the Batcave, meets Batman, gives Batman the journal. Batman think he thinks he's crazy and locks yeah. him up in Arkham. Yeah, and then later realizes, oh wait, I should have. Yeah, that. oh wait, everything was true. I'm I'm sorry <laughs> I put you in Arkham. They're yeah. Like, yeah, this is when you plunge first and ask questions later, you stupid dickhead. Yeah. But he also, he has this really important conversation with him later on. Because, like, uh, Malcolm Wong, Rorschach 2, he, he gets hit with the revelation that, uh, you know, his dad... Well, like, Rorschach isn't this, isn't this, you know, proud hero. He was a crazy guy, you know? And uh, Malcolm Wong kind of was driven <laughs> crazy by Rorschach. Yeah. So this guy, he built his entire identity off of as a crazy guy. He doesn't know what to do. No, I don't even think it was the identity built off the crazy guy. I think it's the his identity was built around the idea that Rorschach and his dad were friends. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. And, and then that that wasn't that was a total myth that Adrian Vane points out that it shatters him. And Batman builds him back up by saying, because he's, he's he's you know he's the closest analog right to, right. to Rorschach that he's a very similar kind of, you know, he beats up, he's more, to, he's, he's a terror, he's more defined terrorizing people, he comes very, he walks that fine edge to him, <laughs> uh, and Batman, you know, he, he gazes, he gives this really great line that I like, is that, you know, like, what am I without the mass, I guess it's like, it's like, you get to decide, I don't remember how it goes, but you get to decide what the mass is. What the mask can represent, because, because yeah. Batman Long was like, yeah, oh Batman. man, I can't wear this mask, do you know what this, this mask, the person who wore this mask, destroyed my family, destroyed my father, killed my mother. Right, because Batman, he's done this kind of the same thing. He's taken, like, his fears and he's put it into his persona, right? He's using it against the criminal. He gets to define... It's not like he's not letting his tragedy control him. He, he, gets, to, he gets to decide what to do with it, which is what he tells Rorschach to do. And he gets that... That kind of... It's kind of cool, but also kind of stupid in the context of Watchmen, where he beats up Bane. He says that line, it's like, uh, like I, I am not the mask. The mask is me, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. I thought it's kind of hokey, but I think it's kind of cool. Jeff Johns has the idea of what a Rorschach is, is that you you interpret what it is, right? Right. Um, I think another important ethical thing you talked about, because it's, like, it's also wrestling. Wrestling, whatever. Wrestling. Uh, wow, wrestling. look at you. I don't know look why. It's... <laughs> that, uh, what is that? That's that, that Southern California is coming out? Is that how they talk down there? Uh, it's more like a Florida thing. That was... Uh. That was uh, uh, I, was, I don't know why. I was thinking of some like movie with a sudden accident talking about wrestling alligators. Anyways, um, <laughs> the the book kind of it it deal it, ta- it tackles Adrian Bay's plan, right? He's all about like the ends justify the means, the greatest number of lives saved, right? He did this, he killed millions to save billions, right? Right. Because I mean and, he he's dealing with the Messiah complex. Yeah, and he has this really good conversation with Batman, right? About like they have a debate about what they're doing. Right, Batman calls him a murderer. You know, he's an egomaniac, but he, uh, who just killed, he's a mass murderer. But then Adrian May counters him by saying, well, all you guys have done is just put on costumes and, you know, put away cops and robbers, but you haven't tackled any of the actual major societal issues, right. which Adrian May at least tried to do. See, because I don't know, because uh, the way uh, he, he put it to Batman was like, you beat up criminals and send them to a, a revolving door prison yeah. where they're out on the street next day. I was like, wow, yeah, you, I was like, you hit him where it hurts, Adrian. 
Yeah, which I thought was interesting. It's again, it's dealing with like, you know, the ethics of what the superhero would do when we're like, they're just kind of putting out fires, right? Because if they were to take proactive action, they become they can become they become villains or they're seen as villains. Right. Which is what like all super many super villains are. It's like they're actually proactively trying to do something with society, and they're they're kind of they do it in a bad way, but like they're you know it's a very interesting stance that I think. Newsday Clock is very aware of. And then, of course, the whole thing with, like, Superman and Dr. Manhattan of, like, you know, this glimmer of hope and optimism. I think it's... I think it's, I thought it was kind of interesting, the approach in that it didn't... It, did, it misleads you to thinking that Superman was going to literally fight Dr. Manhattan. Good, yeah. But he doesn't. What he does is that um, he just, like, he tells him. He just, he just never stops telling him, you know, help. Please help. Like, you need yeah. to do something. And that... Really, the reason why Dr. Manhattan is, he comes around that he's inspired by Superman, right? He sees this, like, hopeful figure, which no matter how dark and greedy he makes his backstory, right, no matter what he does to him, he takes away his parents, he takes away, you know, this and that, he remains this, like, hopeful figure, uh, and that's what inspires Dr. Manhattan to finally solve everything. Right. Which is, like, kind of... Well, not even solve everything. He does something that uh, he he puts he puts his ideas onto somebody else to be the savior, because he himself realizes that he he is a person of in of inaction, while Superman is a man of action. action. Yeah, right. Action comics. Exactly right. I mean, it's kind of clever. Uh, But it's like that's kind of um, I think the stance that seems to be like the stance. Doomsday Clock is trying to say, right? And the, and like its way of kind of, I guess, the ultimate. If you had to say its thesis statement, right? Its thesis statement of how to respond to Watchmen's critique mm-hmm. of, of superheroes is that it's, you know, and it's like I guess like well, you kind of just have to have hope, I guess, to be like be more like Superman. Be always, more like Superman. Always be like, you know, that's essentially what it is. So then, like, my question is, which Superman? Are we going to be like Zack Snyder Superman? Are we going to be like Josh Whedon <laughs> Superman? Are we going to be like Mark Wade Superman? Well, I mean, the the, <laughs> uh, the the thing about Doomsday Clock is that all all the continuities are valid. So. Oh, okay. Except for except for Zack Snyder Superman, because remember Mark Wade stood up in the theater and was like, "That's not my Superman," and really? walked out. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, I mean. It's funny we talk about this on the day the trailer drops. Because so. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, what's it called, when uh, Superman snapped Zod's neck and Man of Steel. Yeah, I mean, you know, eh, that's not. <laughs> I, I'm not a Man of Steel hater like everyone. I will defend various elements of that. That one, it could have been handled better. It could have been handled better, but I mean, it it was essentially Dragon Ball Z. Like this is not this is not this is Goku and like Superman skin. That's that's what Man <laughs> of Steel was. All right, so let's wrap it up with the final perspective, which is Critico, which is essentially <laughs> taking all all the perspectives and combining them to like make, you know, a critical judgment not maybe not judgment, but like a critical analysis, you know, final thought about the work. So. Yeah, watch Doomsday Clock. You know, we've kind of said it. I would say it's a very inessential sequel. It's a very elegant rebuttal to Watchmen. Um, I don't know how necessary it really was. It really feels more about like it's it's resetting the status quo again, right? It's changing the DC universe and changing the DC universe going back. Because really, what's the biggest thing story-wise that come out of it is that the JSA, the Legion, come back. 
all right. previous all previous continuities come back, which is like this thing that like DC is just wrestling with ever since Crisis on Earths. Um, because like the idea is right because it's like oh we need everything to be on one Earth so it's all continuity and everything was like this. It's fine if there's like you know different continuities because then different people are able to tell different stories. Yep. That's I think that's that was the whole thing of about the ending, right? Because we get to see the two flashes, Jay Garrick and uh and Barry Allen, or the idea of like you know different Supermans for different eras, creating like Earth 1985 or Earth 52 or Earth 2, right? Where you have an older Superman. So it's just a matter of understanding that uh you can just have fun with it, which. To be honest, uh, Grant Morrison tackled this in Multiversity. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> again, much better version of I think the same story. I think like Tuesday Clock is basically saying with that is like these these could all coexist. Like Superman can Superman can exist on like literally yeah. <laughs> first of all literally with Doctor Manchow. Yeah, but you can have I think it's like like one shouldn't replace the other. That you can have Watchmen, you can have like the DC comics. At the end of the day, you know, like honestly, like I said, not only I feel like this was handled better decades ago with uh, Kingdom Come, right? And all direction comics have taken since then. I think Jeff Johnson was late to the train. Right. Uh, I feel like the HBO, in terms of like a, a, like a Watchmen story, I think mean HBO or Watchmen sequel, the HBO version was much better. Oh, yeah, much better. Way, way, way better. Yeah, I think for one thing, it has a much more interesting protagonist like regina king's character yeah uh there's not really like the closest thing we get to protagonist is like versus roshak and then it's dr manhattan yes because it because it continues to change in terms in terms of perspective right because like you said i guess we get roshak dr manhattan superman, superman uh, a little bit. yeah a little bit what's the call who else do we get we get my marionette for a quick second yeah but like yeah just focusing on one character like like Regina King's character, I can't remember her name. Uh, uh, Sister Knight. Sister, okay, I'll try to remember her civilian name. Let's call her. Oh, the civilian name. Yeah, I don't remember the civilian name. Sister Knight. I think it's also much more interesting. It's also like the thing about it is like all the other stuff is amazing, right? But even if you're not into like all the other stuff, like there's like there's her arc is the foundation, right? Right, and, and everything ties into her arc. Even when you're going into like, I think it's the most it's crazy watching territory is when. The nostalgia trip into Hood of Justice, and then Doctor Manhattan's story, what he's been up to, it still ties back to Sister Knight. Yes. Whereas this one is like, you know, like I said, it's more about, you know, let's bring back the Justice Society, let's bring back, let's answer these questions of of superhero DC stuff. Yeah. So see, that's okay. So um, putting it that way, right? Because looking at the HBO Watchmen series, right. You can think of Sister Knight as the person in the center and it all like spreads out like a spider web and how it connects versus within Doomsday Clock. It's essentially like a fishing line. Like, all right, we have this question. How do we bring back the Justice Society of America? Throw. Oh, that's how we did it. How do we bring back the Legion of Superhero? Boom. That's how we did it. So it's just answering questions in an in order to just satisfy the uh, comics fan versus trying to tell a cohesive story that has a spectacular ending. Yeah, more of like a series of revelations, which, you know, even even the original Watchmen, like there's there's kind of like a mystery driving it at its core, like who killed Comedian and then what's going on with 
made and all that, but like that's not. It's just such a, it's a much richer story than that at the end. Like that becomes like probably the least interesting part. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Thursday clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of whatever. <laughs> oh, go watch go watch HBO Watchmen instead. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go watch HBO Watchmen. It's a more superior uh, sequel. Yeah. Uh, final note. I want to make sure we test this before we call it. Um, what are your thoughts about Carver Coleman and that kind of that stuff in between? Because it's originally it's framed as just like it's gonna be like another Tales of the Black Freighter thing, right? Yeah. It's just like a, this kind of like in between story that has nothing to do with the main plot. It's just kind of a thematic thing. Right. And then Carver Coleman, because you, you read it, it's like what does it have to do with the rest of the book? Right, uh, which which is what they set it up as, but then it was like, oh wait, Doctor Man hadn't actually interacted with the actor. Yeah. So I mean, and then, I, and then it becomes a thing where Doctor Man makes his what she makes his realization about being inspired by Superman. He like makes this talk to Carver Coleman and changes his and changes his, his entire life. So I mean, it it was hit or miss for me to be completely honest. Like I I I didn't need to have it, but I guess it was cool that. You know, once Dr. Manhattan had his revelation to go talk to Carver Cole to explain to him about, like, yo, shoot for the stars. I mean, aim for the moon, shoot for the stars. Or shoot <laughs> for the star, aim for the, hit the moon. I don't, yeah. I don't know how the phrase goes. Whatever. And then, yeah. yeah. Um, do you think it would have been better if Dr. Manhattan just never showed up? Like in Tales of Black Feather? Like, it's it's a story within a story. A story within a story to, like, tell the context. Yeah, I think it would have been better. So then uh, that, that he kind of. I mean, it would have, you would have to rewrite it a lot, but like if he just like comes, he comes out, you know, he comes out of the closet on his own, and he like turns his life around on his own. Yeah, that would have been that would have been cool. Yeah, it's supposed to like Doctor Mahan, just like feeding him words using talk no jutsu. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like the closest it becomes. So that's the other thing I think the the HBO Watchmen show does really well that this one missed. Like, yeah. Dr. Mahan is interacting with regular people. He's interacting with Regina King. He's a regular human woman. Right. right. But in this one, he's mainly interacting with other superheroes. See, but... An exception of Harper Coleman. He only dying interacts with, like, an ordinary person. Right, but also with the within the HBO series, though, uh, Dr. Manhattan wasn't aware he was Dr. Manhattan while interacting with other human beings. That's true. That's good. Um, I mean, again, it's also, like, again, like the, that story just understood Dr. Manhattan's arc so much better. <laughs> right it, like it did not forget the character development he had at the end of Watchmen yeah right. it, it, it continued it mm. so yeah there's a clock go 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 read we read it so you don't have to <laughs> ah yes yes we did yes we did not we that read. not that you should be listening to this just to know what to read and what not to read you <laughs> should be listening to us for like deep discussion on stuff right and and fart jokes Sometimes I don't think we made a fart joke this no, episode. No, I I'm not a I that's too low. That's low hanging fruit. Too late. Too low. Yeah, too low. We gotta uh, aim for like the mid branch or higher. I see. Like, so we uh, gotta aim. We gotta aim for like methane farts. Where you like you if you were to like take a lighter and uh, fart, right. it turns blue. I I got you. We just had <laughs> we just had like this brilliant deep dive with the six perspectives on on Doomsday Clock and Watchmen, and you've edited it on. The lowest note possible. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the perfect ending. Yes, we were getting a little too high up there. A little, just a little too high. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, we'll call that episode. I'm Eric Wong. I'm Phil Fleming. 
And uh, this is The Watchmen. <laughs> uh, that's new. No, we should do. Uh, we are. What's that? What's that? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ripoff of the cows. Oh, uh, bo- bo- bodacious bovine of uh, Beverly Hills. Was no, it? damn it, because it was oh, it was the Space Cowboys of Mumesa. There we go. We're the Space Cowboys. <laughs> no, I brought it low. I brought it back to the low, low note. Yes, we are the so we are the Space Cowboys of Mumesa. Oh God, I I don't see the correlation, but sure, why not? <laughs>